Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you came to us, a child in a manger, all those many years ago. By faith, we trust you come to us once more this day by the work of your Spirit and the power of your Word. And we know that one day you will come again in power and glory. Jesus, you are the Word of God made flesh. And we pray that this day you would be flesh in us as well, that your Word would find home in our hearts. We pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's a little bit of a strange day in the Christian calendar. As we all know, it's Christmas Eve. It looks like Christmas. It maybe feels like Christmas. It could be a little bit colder and a little bit more snow and less rain, but maybe we could get ourselves there. But it's also still the fourth Sunday of Advent. Advent is actually the shortest it could possibly be this year. Today is the fourth Sunday and tomorrow is Christmas. We don't have a week to linger in this. And I hope that you'll join us tonight for our Christmas Eve service at 7.30 p.m. Lessons and carols and candlelight. It seems like some people may have gotten the memo about that service and thought, it's a one church service kind of day today. But for us, it can be two. This morning, while it's still Christmas Eve, we're going to sit in Advent a little longer. Over the last three weeks, we have anticipated Christ coming among us as the one who brings hope in despair, peace in strife, and joy in sorrow. As we lit the candle of love this morning, we got there eventually, we remembered that we wait for the God who is love, to overwhelm all apathy and hatred with love at the last. When we consider love, and especially when we think about what the Bible has to teach us about love, we likely think of that passage from 1 Corinthians. You know the one. It's the one that's been read at every wedding you've ever been to. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the kind of love we're longing for God to bring into our world. And then Paul, who wrote that, concludes that chapter and that lesson on love by saying, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's a reason that the advent of love is the fourth Sunday of this season. Love is the greatest of all virtues. Maybe you're here today because it's Christmas Eve. You've never heard of this Advent thing before at all, and you don't know what to do about faith. But I suspect you long to be loved, and you long to love others well. Hope is important for us to hold on to, especially in dark days of winter, of war, 
of our own woes. But that hope always points us toward love. Peace is the cry of our whole world right now as countless innocents suffer and die for the wars of the powerful. But it is only love which will end hatred, bitterness, and envy, which will end war forevermore. Our culture is saturated with impulses and pleasures that try to take the place of joy. But they haven't. And even joy comes most readily when love supports it. It springs out of hearts which know love and which share love as a gift to others. As we consider the advent of love, then, it's no small thing that we're talking about. We're not talking about pining after our crush. We're talking about the way that God will change and shape all things. The love which will give purpose and belonging to all people, which will bring peace and joy to every place, which is the answer to all of our hope and all of our faith. We see the shape of this kind of love in Joseph's life. Mary has become pregnant, but she's engaged to Joseph. So knowing that he's not the father and not being so dull as to believe the whole, oh, it's from the Holy Spirit bit. Has anybody ever believed that? Just be honest, Mary. He has in mind to divorce her quietly. Yes, divorce her. They were engaged, but this kind of engagement was just phase one of being married. And breaking it off was breaking off marriage. It would be divorce. Joseph, we're told, is a righteous man. He's a just man. This means that he's been careful to observe God's law. He takes the law of God seriously. In the case of unfaithfulness, the law required divorce. But more than that, the law would expect a public trial for infidelity in which Joseph would make an example of Mary in open court for all to see. And before Roman rule, she would have been stoned when she was found guilty, and her guilt was obvious for anyone to see. But the Romans had put an end to this kind of religious death sentence, though the people still tried it from time to time. Even though Joseph was righteous, even though he kept the law, something about this didn't sit right for him. He loved Mary. And his love would not be envious, would not lash out in jealousy and demand exactly what was due to him for this betrayal. Though uncommon, the law also allowed for a divorce to be quiet, to happen just in the presence of two witnesses. Joseph would do that instead. As the God of love is silent in Mary's womb, his rule of grace shines its first rays of this new dawn as Joseph sets his mind on a more gracious course. Beyond what the law requires, he will be merciful. More than justice, he chooses to have compassion. But Joseph's mind is made up at this point. We have to know that. Sometimes the translations we read can make it seem like he was still mulling over his options when the angel appeared to him. 
No, his angelic visitor arrives only when Joseph has decided what to do. Even as God's message to Mary changes her mind from what was certainly not true to the impossible made real, now God's message to Joseph will change his mind from what was the only conceivable way forward for him to a new reality in which love grows rather than shrinks. Do not be afraid, the angel begins. An invitation not only to courage, but also to keep his course. It doesn't just say, do not be afraid, but do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Do not be afraid to keep your prior commitment. We assume the vision of an angel may have been the cause for fear, but just as likely the fear of what people will say and how people will think of him has entered Joseph's mind since he first learned of Mary's new reality. Do not fear. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And more than not fearing taking Mary as his wife, Joseph is encouraged to be not only a husband to Mary, but father to this child who is not his own. Neither is this child some other man's. Rather, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And more than man, he is God with us. So do not be afraid to take this child as your own, Joseph, and give him the name of Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Last week, Alex talked about how one of the perks of being a parent, one of the fun things that parents get to do, is to name your child. And he noted that in this story, Mary and Joseph, they don't get to pick the name. And while that's true, it's also important to remember that they do name Jesus. The name's been chosen, but Joseph is told that Mary will have a son and that he is to give Jesus that name. Joseph being told to name him is Joseph being told to be his father, to adopt Jesus as his own son. In this culture, names were given by legal fathers, and with the name came the status of heir. This is why in Isaiah 43, verse 1, God says, I have called you by name, you are mine. Joseph, the angel has already noted, is the son of David. And Matthew is making the case that by this adoption, Jesus is also rightly in the line of David. But it's more than just a neat bow on an ancient prophecy. It is the reality that Joseph will choose to raise a child that he knows is not his own. Why would he do that? We might say, out of love for Mary. But no, out of love for Mary, he was prepared to divorce her quietly. Out of love for this child. No, it was in his human love for this unborn child that he prevented any possibility of that child's death by his mother's punishment. It's only out of love for God and for God's work in the world that Joseph adopts this child. Because Joseph loves God, he will love Mary in a new way. He will love this child conceived by the Holy Spirit on God's terms and no longer on human terms. And he will adopt him as his own. From the beginning, because of his great love for God and love for Mary, Joseph was prepared to do more than what was commanded of him in the law. Now, 
confronted by an angelic visitor, he'll do exactly what he's told. He will take Mary as his wife. He will name this child and make him his own. He has been encouraged to pay no heed to the social consequences, the whispers about Mary, the unbelief about that Holy Spirit story, because God is working to save his people. And this love of God for the world has been the love which Joseph has sought to see fulfilled in all his righteousness, in all his justice, in all his graciousness and goodness. Joseph has been challenged to love in the same manner as God. God who is faithful to his people even though we have all been unfaithful to God now asks Joseph to remain faithful to Mary who only seems to have been unfaithful. God who adopts as daughters and sons people who have, been, have denied our father and turned from his ways asks only that Joseph adopt as his son one who is faithful and true in all his ways. The God who willingly subjects himself to mockery, scorn, pain, and death out of love for us asks that Joseph endure rumors and even shame for the sake of love for him and the son whom he loves. Joseph's love is in response to God's own love first. So Joseph receives the Christ child in love. Joseph is only the second person to make room for Christ in his heart, and it surely cost him his reputation, surely cost him what he'd imagined his life with Mary would look like. He chooses to love God's work in the world more than even the ways that he wished God would work in the world. He loves God enough to love a child that isn't his, that he hasn't met, that has already disrupted his life so much, and to name him as his own, to protect him from danger and sword, to be father to God the Son and in so doing, become more like the God who he followed, the God who is love. After Mary and Joseph, throughout the ages, countless others have made room for Christ in their hearts, putting aside the cost of loving him because they determined that he was worthy of any cost and far more. That in loving him who loved them first, they would find the fullness of all hope, all peace, all joy. Maybe you count yourself in that number. And so the question for those of us who seek to love Christ, even as Joseph loved the unborn Christ child, is how can we? How can we love him in that way? He no longer comes to us as an infant, but now by the power of his spirit until he comes at last in glory. How can we love him as a helpless babe when we know that he is enthroned in power even now? How can we love him selflessly as if he had nothing to offer to us but hardship and strife when we know already that by his stripes we have been healed? Jesus, as he often does, has an answer for us. Speaking to his disciples, Jesus tells them a story about the end of the world, 
when he will judge all nations and he will separate sheep from goats. Now, both sheep and goats claim to love Jesus. Both figure if they knew that Jesus needed something, food, drink, hospitality, clothes, care, or a visit, they would offer it to him. But the trouble was, he never seemed to need anything. They never saw him hungry. They never saw him thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison. How could they show their love for him if they never saw his need? Jesus doesn't come to us anymore as a baby with crying needs every hour on the hour. Neither does he show himself to us that we might see him as Lord and King and serve him hand and foot. Rather, he suggests he comes to us in the needy of the world today. Have you ever seen one who is hungry? Then you've seen Christ in need of food. Have you seen one who is thirsty? You've seen Christ seeking water. Have you seen a stranger in need of welcome? You have seen Christ in our streets. Have you seen a refugee without a coat? You have seen Christ naked and cold. Have you seen one who is sick or in prison? You have seen the need of our Lord. The opportunity which Joseph had to receive Christ in his helplessness, to love and serve the one who is love made flesh, was not, I think, unique to Joseph. Christ comes to us still this day. Love calls out to us still this day. That in the very least of these is the need of Christ, is the helplessness of God still with us crying out that we should respond to the love of God with love like God's. A love which loves selflessly. A love which is always kind, always patient, always protects, always perseveres. A love which never fails. A love which never fails to see the need of one who God loves and extend that love by acknowledging that even in the poor, the forgotten, the stranger among us is still the presence of God and the promise of Christ. Like Joseph, we today are challenged to not be afraid. Do not be afraid to love your neighbor. Do not be afraid to give of your means and your substance. Do not be afraid to welcome and love the lost and the hurting. Because by these things, we are invited not only to love and serve Christ as he comes to us, but also to bring Christ's love into a world of need. We are assured that even if we suffer for the cause of the least of these, even if we are sometimes abused, sometimes taken advantage of, even if our love sparks criticism of us or malice toward us, like Joseph before us, we need not be afraid because God has come to us. God is with us. And God has walked that same road of love before us in his relationship with all creation, even in the flesh 
and that helpless babe which would one day choose to die for the sin of the world. No, we have no need to fear because Christ has gone before us in this way of love. If we truly are a people who wait for the advent of love, we are challenged this day to hear this call of love again. Love that loved us first and calls us like Joseph not to be afraid. Do not be afraid to see Christ in the very least, our brother and our sister. Do not be afraid to love them even as you love Christ. Because as you do, you make room in your heart for his reign of hope, peace, joy, and love. If we do, we will begin to know, even today, his kingdom, which has no end. Truly, let us love one another, even as we love our Lord, that all the world may know his love. Today, this Christmas, and evermore, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to reflect on what the Holy Spirit might have been saying to you and to us as a church through these scriptures, through these words. And a couple of questions to prompt you. You can pray these things. You can journal these things. You can ignore these things and pray what you heard the Spirit saying to you. That would be great if you did that too. The first question is, who has God called you to love? And the second, how might God use you to bring his advent of love in your life?